Hello again, Australians. Welcome to the new Stand Up Australia podcast, Stand Up Sits Down With. Contrarian conversation, rebutting the mainstream narrative. Each week we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world. You may have missed during the past week and separate fact from fiction so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. So today on the show, Targi admits the mandated vaccines cause heart attacks but still recommends it to everyone over six months old. Ibac comes after dirty Daniel Andrews. Victorian Greens preference Labor at the upcoming election, saying they will not consider working with the Liberal Party. Queensland introduces a traffic-like system to handle the impending wave of sniffles being heavily promoted by the government and corporate media. And finally, the US CDC changes its guidance on opioids, giving doctors more leeway to treat pain. So today again, uh, sitting down with Peter Harris, who I finally met face-to-face last week when he, Ruby, and their kids travelled back in time over the border to see me in Brisbane for a bit of a chinwag. Thanks for joining us again today, Peter. How's Thanks, everything going Mitch. for you guys? Great. We uh, we were well fed when we met with you at your cafe <laughs> and um, great sandwiches. So if you're in the area, where's the suburb? Macravat. Macravat. Delicator and Macravat. Come down and yeah. say hi. Have a sandwich. or, or It's more than a sandwich. It was, it was awesome. The kids had a big feed and yeah. we went all home heavier than we arrived. It's um, a relig- religious experience, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was great. What the what is it? The bug the bug baguette I had, and yeah, it was great. Yeah, Morton Bay bugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you. Th- thanks for welcoming us the other day, and thanks for having me here again. Oh, pleasure. It was great to meet you guys finally in, in the flesh. Yeah. Um, well, we we try to get around. We've been a bit slow lately, but um, but uh, meeting you was was awesome. It's just. It's great to see creativity and endeavor. You've worked so hard to get that place set up, and it's great that it's going so well. And um, you know, it's uh, it's just great to see people getting on with their lives and and uh, working at their creative best. Yep, yeah, well, it's been it's been good fun, hard work, but that's that's why you do it. And nothing comes easy. That's worth it, does it? So no, no, that's exactly right. <laughs> Normally, normally success is about 40 years of preparation. <laughs> yep. Yep. It certainly is. I've been preparing for a while then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's get into the stories this week. Yeah. Um, what was your first one? Atagi? So, so we're starting off uh, with Atagi. So they are saying they didn't know about heightened risk of myocarditis in young men until five months after the Pfizer Moderna approval. <laughs> So this would have been right in the midst of the mandate. So even, well, that's, I don't believe them when they say they didn't know about it because they would have had to have read the, the data from, um, from Pfizer, which was given directly to them, which actually showed heart damage in the trials. It was one of the things they were looking at. So they said they didn't um, know about the heightened risk and they said an updated document published by the Health Authority in late September attracted serious attention this month as it showed the side effect was unknown to the group until May 2021. So the vaccine was provisionally approved for use on the 25th of January 2021. So obviously um, raises questions over Australia's vaccine mandates. I don't think that raises any more questions or already extremely questionable in the first place. But yeah, what? Let, let's get your take on this. Well, it raises questions on the regulators. Um, they, they published their public assessment reports, which said everything was experimental. Um, they appeared in the government of the day, Scott Morrison and um, Hunt's TV commercials, everything is safe, effective and free. Um, they got on board the narrative that everybody needed to have this thing. Um, they refused to listen. Not only did they refuse to listen, but they ridiculed, they maligned, they deregistered the cardiologists around the world screaming at them, screaming at them that these vaccines were going to cause myocarditis and heart attacks and all sorts of problems. Um, A lot of those doctors are still deregistered um, and they're still saying, now that they've even got more information, 
that it's okay for everyone to have it over six months. I mean, you've got to question our regulators. You've got to question the way we regulate drugs in this, in this country. You've got to question the way we, that they operate. You've got to question the authority that they operate under. You've got to question every element of these organisations because government is there to work in the best interests of the people. Giving people a drug, an experimental drug or a vaccine that hasn't been properly tested like other vaccines have over you know, one and a half decades um, is not in the best interests or the benefit of the people. And I think that um, they completely flew in the face of all of the pandemic response guidelines that every state and territory and the federal government had prior to all of these you know, crazy lockdowns, mandates, mask mandates, um, vaccine mandates. And here you have Qantas this week asking its staff whether it should keep the mandates or not. Well, that's, you know, that just shows you how scientific all of this is, really. Um, mm. Let's do it as a staff survey this week. You know, these people um, have, the reason why it come, it's all over the place is they never followed the original guidelines. And now all we have is a complete and utter shambles of a system and regulators um, that are not held to account. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's, they're not held to account. I mean, as we've said before in this, in this podcast, you know, Itagi, um, well, not Itagi, but the TGA anyway, who, who mm. provisionally approved it is um, funded by the, the bodies that, <laughs> that funded make, by that make the pharma. drugs. Yeah. Funded by big pharma. Yeah. And this is what, this is what the result is. Um, no one's held to account. They continue to pump out poison into the bodies of people um, and cause heart attacks, um, and they still continue to recommend it. That's that's a net result of the failure of the system, um, and it's just one element of our society that's failing. There's multiple elements that are that are failing uh, because of lack of accountability and the lack of a focus on the people and what's good for the people. And it's not surprising we see now um, a 17% increase in mortality in Australia, a lot of those being heart attacks. Mm. Um, one thing that has come out in the last week is a terrible story from ABC. They've got a, a fact check they do about uh, anything that's probably true. And they said yeah. the simple answer is no, that, that this is being caused by the vaccines. Uh, it's probably to do with COVID. Um, mm because we know that COVID can cause heart problems as well. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's, it's impossible to prove that it is the vaccines at this well, point in time. Seriously, like who the hell is the ABC and who is their fact checker? Let's find out what their credentials are. You know, um, a good friend of mine, um, Professor Christopher Neal, was fact checked. Um, on one of his articles by Barman, a professor in cardiology, fact-checked by a Barman, who that was his part-time job. You know, let's get serious about who these fact-checkers are mm. and let's get serious about the crap that they pour out through mainstream media because, you know, we hear it, we go, oh, yeah, that should be fact-checked. But what do they know about anything? Seriously. No. You know, they know nothing. So no. let's ask the ABC who their fact checker is. Is it Dr. Carl, you know, that generalist? <laughs> <laughs> it probably say. is. It probably yeah. is. No, this looks like it's just a bit of a conglomerate. Oh, here we go. Um, Alan McCutcheon and David Campbell, whoever they are. But yeah. that's who it's edited by. But they've, they've referenced a bunch of um, people you know, basically but that's saying, what we do. don't know, but we know it's not the vaccines. We don't yeah. know what it is, but it's not the vaccines. We just know Yeah, that. of course. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't know why 50% of our children have chronic illnesses in our society, but we know it's not the vaccines. And the yeah. reason why we know it's not the vaccines is because the big farmer give us too much money. Um, <laughs> let's start just telling the truth. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's not just in Australia either. It's it's all around the it's world. Everywhere. You know, the corruption's got, everywhere. Yeah. And, Europe, and the corruption's yeah, and the corruption's gonna catch up with them. And it's catching up with them now. Yes. Yeah. We can only hope that it um actually all the you know, the crows come home to roost, as they say. So yeah. We can only well, hope. They always do and they will. Uh, it's just a matter of when. Um, but you know, look, th- this whole this whole situation, they they even COVID, they had a microcosm of COVID on the um, cruise boats. They 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 knew what COVID was going to do right from the outset. They didn't have to lock down our societies. They knew what percentage and and the vulnerability of people on cruise boats, and they were the perfect age group because they were the people affected by it. So. If they'd actually got to work and actually studied what was happening on those cruise boats that they left out at sea for a while, they would have they would have actually had a microcosm of exactly what was going to be happening in Australia and what did happen. Um, but um, the reality is they're incompetent, and the reality is um, there's no more independence in the system; it's corrupted, and therefore the system is not doing what's right for the people. Yeah, the system follows the money in the end, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah, doesn't follow the science, as they say. It follows the money. Mm. Yeah. But, well, speaking of corruption, um, Daniel Andrews is being investigated by the anti-corruption watchdog IPAC um, this week over a $3.4 million donation, not a donation, a grant that was linked to a labour union um, in 2018 on the eve of the 2018 election. So this is one of many things that he's sort of being investigated about at the moment, not one yeah. sort of being the, well, the response one, to COVID. One, um, one, one of the things that the public are aware of. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that the public are aware of. Uh, <laughs> he's we, been getting we, a bit of a hard hard time about the the stairs at his, at his um, beach house as well recently. Yeah, I've seen some of those memes. <laughs> two, two steps. Yeah, two, two steps. Two steps is um, two, two pretty dangerous. Down. Very, yeah. very dangerous situation walking down those two steps in the morning, um, <laughs> especially after you've uh, you know been on the <laughs> on the juice all night by the sounds of it. But um, so, what can you tell me a bit about the anti-corruption watchdog IBAC? Is this a toothless tiger, or is this something that has a bit of power and can actually take down a premier like Daniel Andrews? Oh, well, they're not, they're not going to take him down before the election. I mean, there's not enough time. Um, they've had an opportunity uh, through multiple um, cases um, to, um, I guess, bring this premier down. Um, <clears throat> they work very slowly. Um, I, I, look, I think the people at IBAC are working pretty hard to deal with corruption. But the problem that, you know, these pe- the people they're dealing with are pretty slippery customers. Um, and, um, and, you know, are often two steps ahead of the watchdog. Um, and, and, uh, a very, these guys are very good at covering their tracks, you know? Um, so I think at the end of the day, um, having IBAC is very important for public accountability. Um, as having an ICAC federally would be very, very important for public accountability. A lot of things that have happened federally should be investigated by ICAC. I noticed that Anthony Albanese didn't include ICAC, which was part of their election commitment in this year's budget, um, because at the end of the day, we'll come to the end of the term federally and there still won't be an ICAC because they don't want to be held to account. Um but these things become very political in nature. So even the announcement of IBAC coming after Dirty Dan this week is um, is a political um, manoeuvre, um, partly as part of the process of getting rid of Dan Andrews, you know? Yeah. Um, the word I have is that, you know, Dan, Dan Andrews will be re-elected and he'll, re- he'll retire in 12 months after that and pass on to Jacinda. Um, so... You know, I think, and and you got to be careful what you wish for. Um, so, the, the the big problem in Victoria 
um, is that uh, there is corruption, uh, but you don't have a credible opposition. Um, you don't have a credible um, uh, liberal opposition holding this government to account. So, you know, if, if you had good quality independent opposition that was um, working very hard to hold the government to account, um, you know, IBAC would be very busy um, because they'd be right on top of all these things. It seems to me that we have a very weak Liberal Party in Victoria. Um, and I guess this, this, you know, links into the next point. But, you, you know, really, IBAC I is, 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 is meant to be the watchdog for the public. Um, and the problem with these processes, they become enormously political. And if you don't have a strong opposition yelling from the rooftop about these things, a lot of these things end up getting pushed under the rug or, or you know, swept under the carpet. And nothing that they do now, other than a headline saying, you know, we're investigating Daniel Andrews, is going to have a major impact on the outcome of the election result. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you could always think of this as being more of that sort of um, Hillary Clinton situation in the in the in the what was it the 2000, 2016 elections in the in the states when the FBI said they were investigating her. Yeah, they definitely took a few votes, quite a few votes, off her and allowed Donald Trump to win that election. So, and if you look at the the latest polls in Victoria, I think they had. Um, uh, Labor and Liberals both sitting at 37. Mm, mm. So, which is not a lot of votes for two major parties, but looks, well, like, they both, looks like they're both even at the moment, which I found yeah, hard to believe. Your federal government's sitting there with, you know, under 30% of the primary vote. Yeah. Um, and they're there by default. They don't have a mandate from the people. They, they, they were just the last man standing at that election. Mm. Um you know, up to 35% of people saying we don't want either of you two parties is, is a serious change in the dynamics of Australian politics. The same's happening here. Um, and by default, um, because there isn't any other credible alternative. Now, don't get me wrong, credible alternatives will arise um, uh, once people get desperate enough. But, you know, the Australian people aren't desperate enough yet. And you know, I've had I've had conversations with politicians um, around the fact that you know the people now expect their politicians to be corrupt. They don't trust their politicians. They they assume that they don't represent them, but they still vote for them. Um, so you know, how far do we take this discussion about? people sort of expecting their politicians to be untrustworthy and corrupt um, and, um, and that they'll vote for them regardless. Um, what do they have to do for people not to vote for them? So what we saw at the federal election is people saying, I'm not voting for you. I'd rather give my vote to an independent um, or a protest party. Um, by, uh, you know, by the way, the Greens didn't pick up the big protest vote at the biggest protest election in the history of the country. Um, so, um, you know, they benefited from Labor doing badly. Um, but we now have a situation where people are going to vote more and more for independence. And ultimately what will form up is, is a credible alternative. And um, I don't think an IBAC inquiry into Daniel Andrews is going to shift the mood of the public dramatically. They already know he's untrustworthy. They already know that corruption exists they already know um that they should that, you know they're entitled to have better leadership um but nothing's on offering at this election there's nothing there for anyone to grasp and people should be investigating at that local level who they can vote for who's credible you know daniel andrew's seat you've got a guy called ian cook and aiden mcclendon um who, you know, Aidan was a sitting member for the LNP in Queensland at one stage. Um, and uh, Ian Cook is, is well regarded in the community. And what people should be doing 
and they're in their local seats is investigating who who's credible to vote for, who's good to vote for. And and that's going to have a more powerful impact than an IBAC inquiry into Daniel Andrews, frankly, right at this second. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm entirely positive that the system's changing. Um, it, may not be, it may not be seen to do that dramatically uh, this next election in Victoria because it takes a long time for a system to evolve. Um, into something new. And let's face it, the system is stacked towards the incumbents, whether it's Labor or Liberal. Um, But the people are progressively breaking it. And Labor should take not an ounce of solace that they were the last man standing federally, as they should take no solace that they'll probably be the last man standing in in Victoria. And I hope IBAC can land some punches. Um, I do think that they're good... um, um, uh, independent investigative people um, and they are trying to do a reasonable job amongst difficult circumstances for the people of Victoria. So who but, funds who funds them though, Peter? Who funds but, yeah, but, but, that's, but that is entirely the problem is that, you know, what Daniel Andrews has done to Victoria is, you know, you're meant to have a public service that's independent of the government that, that, mm. that provides independent advice. Um, uh, to the politicians. But what Daniel Andrews has done is he's got a personal staff we hear from the media of 500. Um, yeah. He's got um, every senior position in the public service now covered by political operatives. And that's why you have bizarre outcomes, bizarre outcomes like lockdowns and mandates and all these things without any questioning because all these operatives are doing is satisfying what, Daniel Andrews wants what the government wants. Yeah. So I back of fighting a massive, um, a massive um, problem that the whole system is broken. Um, and where do you start with that? And they, you know, they're, they're doing their best to lay, lay, you know, lay some punches. But at the end of the day, um, they're funded by the government, and uh, they can have their funding taken away by the government. I say this about the ABC, as, as long as a, the government, the standing government of the day federally can choose the chairman and the CEO, um, then you're always going to have biased media. You know, these things need to be put more and more into the hands of the people. And we have a growing population. Um, they're telling us 27 million within the next three years um, by mainly immigration. And, and, what we should be doing is using some of that latent resource within our society to drive a lot of these independent inquiries. We should be using that latent resource within our society um, to participate at a local level, to provide feedback at a local level so we get much better legislation flowing through the parliaments. But we don't do it because we actually have a system that is not interested in what the people want. Yeah, and like what you were saying before, a lot of people are uninterested in what the system is doing as well. You know, they go, oh, they're the government, they're corrupt. We know that. But it doesn't mm. affect me. I'm, you know, I've still got my job. I still come home and yeah. have a beer every night and, you know, have pizza on a Friday night. Nothing's changed for me. Mm. But, but of course, know- of course, that is about to change. I mean, yes. Um, you know, we, we are about to see uh, fuel prices skyrocket like we think they're expensive now we're going to see them skyrocket there's a global energy crisis that's about to hit us all square between the eyes um we're about to see shortages of food in terms of uh, food security and cost of food food is already costing a fortune you'd know that in 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 the uh, hospitality segment Mm, um the cost of food is going up and you know cost of energy is going up All, all these things and Australians have had it easy. I mean, we're the wealthiest country in the world um, uh, per, per capita. We're the wealthiest people in the world per capita. And we haven't really suffered yet. Um, they're suffering in the United States right now. And, you know, there's a lot of people um, predicting revolution in the United States. They're right on the edge. And so when someone can't um, drive their their kid to school when someone can't afford to send their kid to school when someone can't afford to feed their kid 
and Food Bank and all these organizations all around the country uh, can't keep up with demand. Um, when that begins to hit mainstream, um, you know what? We, we're going to see some pretty angry people that are, uh, that are sick of politicians that can't be trusted. Yeah, yeah. I, I welcome... I don't welcome the uh, increases in prices and, uh, you know, the impending sort of collapse of society, but in the end, everybody needs a good kick up the ass. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I'm not predicting the collapse of society. I, I, I actually think I, I have faith in our system. I don't have faith in the operatives and haven't had for some time. Um, I have faith in the people though. I have faith in the people standing up and um, saying, no, enough is enough. We just haven't quite got there in this country yet because, um, you know, there's not enough people hurting. There are people desperately hurting, desperately hurting. There are homeless people. Um, there are people that can't afford to give food to their family. We're, we're in a caravan park um, like 10 kilometres away from Byron Bay just a short while ago, you know, where pro property prices, you know, spiralled out of control um, or, you know, elevated out of control. And, you know, there was, there was a guy there who um, had a caravan who got it because people ran a crowdfunding program for him because his last caravan got smashed in the floods. Um, and, you know, he was living in this caravan park. All of his belongings were in, were in a tent next to the caravan. Wow. Um, and he, he couldn't afford to, you know, he couldn't work uh, because of circumstances. He had three kids, one with a broken leg. And, you know, he was hurting. He was hurting. And it's not that we should be looking to government to solve our problems. We should be solving our own problems where we can. But we're going to see a lot more of that because there are a lot of people that can't afford um, Philip Lowe's um, response to an inflation that I say has been caused by the obsessions of the elite. You know, this, this time of inflation, high inflation in Australia is not going to be stopped by, um, by high interest rates because it's not that consumerism is out of control. It's because supply is out of control. It's because yes. the, the, the supply chain is broken. And what, you know, we, Russia invading uh, Ukraine has affected oil prices and inflation. And supply chains, COVID and mandates and lockdowns has affected um, supply chains and costs of living. By God, when China moves on Taiwan, what's going to happen next? Mm. Uh, Britain's already in an energy crisis. They're talking about subsidizing homes to heat their homes during winter yeah. uh, because they can't afford to buy fuel. And when does the craziness stop? You know, when, when, when do we actually wake up as a humanity? I tell you when that happens. It does not happen from the people within the system. It happens from the people that are suffering outside of the system when they say enough is enough and they stand up and chuck all those people out of that system. And Australians aren't desperate enough yet, but they're getting there. And, um, and I think that we're going to see, um, we're going to see, you know, progressively countries around the world um, challenged by the people, their citizens, uh, on how they've managed their societies and economies. Yeah, and the good thing is after the last couple of years, you see a lot more people that are willing to accept that it's not just the, you know, it's not just the narrative they get showed, they get shown. It's not Vladimir Putin that's the cause of all this inflation. It's the decisions that were made over the last couple of years. It's the trillions of dollars that were printed and given to big companies, um, which is the cause of this. And people are starting to realise that. And plenty of people are starting to realise that. It's not just the fringe minority anymore. And, you know, they're talking about an inflation rate of 7% and a wage growth rate of 3.5%. So workers are going backwards at a rate of 4% per annum from a wealth perspective, from an earnings perspective. Yeah. But it's much worse than that. It's much, much worse than that. There, there are... Costs that, um, you know, 38% more to buy um, a car um, like our car 
from 2019 to now, 38% increase Jeez. in price. Um, and, and um, you know, just, just government charges are up massively when they shouldn't even exist. They promised to get rid of them when Howard brought in the GST, state government charges. Yeah. But they're going, they're going up horrendously because they're, they're drunk on the money and they employ more and more people like Daniel Andrews you know, um, hundreds of people to service the king, and um, and and we all become um, we all become poorer as a consequence. So, you know, this is beginning to bite now, and this was always going to happen. This is uh, predicted by economic historians about how every um, regime or how every economic cycle concludes. It always concludes in the revolution of the people. I'm not talking about anything radical. I'm not talking about anything that's never happened in history. What I'm talking about is something that has always happened throughout history. And, um, you know, a system that serves the corporates, a system that serves the elite, a system where the values um, gaps between the elite and, and, and the general population um, collapse um, is, is where we begin to see the end of a cycle play out. I mean, you know, um, post-birth abortions, full-term abortions, there are massive value gaps in our communities that, are, that have been emerging now. And, um, and these things are all leading to division of society between haves and haves not and have nots uh, wealth gaps increasing all these things and 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 it always leads it always leads to change and it's not change that serves the elite it's change that serves the people and so i'm on the side of the people i have great faith in the people and i know we've sort of um strayed from um, a few of those stories, but in, th there's a common theme here of, of, of corruption and elitism and bad behaviour that the people are getting sick of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll, you'll see that in the, the coming Victorian election, like you were saying. Um, I, think, I think you're right about that. It's, it's, it's just going to follow the, the, what happened in the federal election. Uh, one, of those, one of those groups in... Victoria, the, the Greens, has yeah. decided they've got a preference Labor at the upcoming election, saying they won't consider working with the Liberal Party. Um, <laughs> what's going on here? I always thought they were mortal enemies. There's complete, oh, just, completely opposing views. Yeah, um, this is just a complete embarrassment for the Liberal Party. Um, you know, there was an article in the Spectator, Spectator magazine uh, that, that I get online uh, basically saying to the Liberals in Victoria, if you even entertain doing a deal with the Greens, um, you have so abandoned your, your base, your conservative base, um, that, you know, you, you, you um, basically are, are destined for political hell. Um, and um, I, I'm not sure what that is, but, um, but um, I guess uh, never been elected. But, um, but the reality is, um, you know, the Greens always do preference deals with Labor. That, you know, that's, and that doesn't mean, by the way, Labor likes the Greens. Labor hates the Greens. Yeah, well, Labor, the Labor's Green, refusing to do the deal, aren't they? Well, La Labor, the Greens, the Greens will always side with Labor at the end of the day. But the problem is the Greens are picking away at the Labor Party. You know, the, the, the people that the Greens hurt the most are the Labor Party. So I don't know who um, Einstein was in the Liberal Party that thought it would be good to start talking with the Greens about a deal, because Peter Costello once told me you got to you got you got to dance with who you take to the party, and I can tell you now, the Greens never took the Liberals to the party, and the Liberals never took the Greens to the party, and the reality is here, is that, and why this is so embarrassing is that the Liberals should have come out forcefully today and said we would never entertain interacting or engaging or transacting on a broad political level with the Greens to shore up their support base. But here you have the Greens saying, oh, we wouldn't deal with the Liberals and nothing from the Liberals. <laughs> the, the, 
you, you know, the Liberals are the ones that should be dramatically embarrassed by this. And, uh, and once again, it shows the woke, weak leadership of Matthew Guy. It shows how pathetic an organisation the Liberal Party really have become. And it just highlights again why people need to vote for independence right now. And in time, the right type of party will form up and will be able to lead people for the benefit of the people. Um, But right now, um, you've got incompetent leaders, you've got um, corrupt government, you've got um, corrupted institutions that are meant to serve the people that are, that are now um, swayed to the governments that they serve because that's how the leadership has been selected. And you've got um, corporates and, and, and other agendas being driven forward and the people are the poor cousin in all of this. They never get a look in. And let me tell you, at Federation, in the Constitution, we signed a document. The people signed a document with the Queen of England, which was for the benefit of the people. And as my good friend Spiros says, if it read for, if it read it was not for the benefit of the people, why would we have signed it? Doesn't make sense. So everything is meant to be for the benefit of the people. And you need to just ask yourself a simple question. Is this for the benefit of my family? Is this for the benefit of my broader community? And if if the answer is obviously no, then government is not serving the best interests of this country and the people. And right now, as one of the wealthiest countries in the world, we should be racing ahead. But instead, we're getting ripped down with the rest of the world because all we all our people do is follow suite um, and and make bad decisions and bad judgments and, and follow into line with the commercials and and globalists, and we end up we end up as a poor country. Yeah, it's it is like that with the, the two major parties. I mean, one thing you could say about Daniel Andrews at least he at least he sort of. Um, goes after what he wants and what he believes and he doesn't really give a shit about what, what other people think. Whereas you yeah. say the, the liberals down there, they just sort of bend to whatever whatever people think whatever they think people want, don't they? Yeah. They don't they don't have a backbone. There's there really is no opposition like you were saying. And they're not even a conservative party anymore. I mean I'm not I'm not conservative um myself. I'm not left leaning either. But you think the people that are the traditional voters of the of the Liberal Party, they want to well want to know they're voting for a, a party with their views, their mm-hmm. conservative views, which you don't have anymore. You've got a left-wing party, you've got like a center-left party. And that's yeah, it. Yeah, and, and that's it. And and look, in truth, you know, I, I actually don't like either label. Um, because there are some things that I think through that I would probably be deemed to be left on. And there are some things that I that I think through that I would be deemed to be right on. So what what does that make me? Centrist? I don't know what it makes me. Maybe it just makes me a critical thinker. Maybe yes. it just makes me someone that thinks through the issues rather than being labelled or pigeonholed because that's how people want to want to want to behave in this community. Well, we don't have to behave the way everyone tells us to behave. We can just be free thinkers mm. and um, and and think through these issues. Um, but let me tell you. Um, the Liberals should be embarrassed, they should be appalled, and, and they, should, um, they should suffer at the hands of the people for being in, so indecisive about who they are and, um, and what their values stand for, because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for everybody that's looking in, and, it's, um, and if, it, if it wasn't so sad, if it wasn't so bad for the country, it would be laughable. <laughs> and I've... I've... I find it laughable, yeah. But you're right; it's um, it is very bad for the country. So mm. I probably should I probably shouldn't laugh. No, well, no. I mean, you know, um, thank God you live in Brisbane. Well, yeah. maybe not. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> the, the next the next story uh, might make you think otherwise. Um, so Queensland has recently gotten rid of their emergency, um, which obviously, as we know, was never an emergency in the beginning. People have. On on our side, even have been going. Oh, this is great. No more emergency. Blah blah blah. But all that's happened really is they've relabeled it. They've put it into. I'm not sure if you'd call it law, but in the end, 
they don't have to call an emergency anymore to do certain things. One of the things that John Gerard, our our um our uh, chief health officer up here, is doing is introducing a traffic light system to handle the impending wave, um, which he says of COVID, which we will see. Obviously, we're going to see another wave of COVID because it's a let's face it, it's a cold, and it's not much worse than a cold anymore. But under this traffic light system, he still has the power to. Let me just bring this up here. So he still has the power to make people wear masks indoors. So mandate mask wearing. Um, that's on a red, which. So on the red, yeah, you'll have to wear masks indoors. And that's when transmission is very high. On a green, they just recommend that you stay home if you're sick. Um, you register your rat test. And on amber, you have to wear your face mask on public transport in health healthcare settings and indoors if you can't socially distance. So this is essentially the same thing. The only thing you can't do anymore is order lockdowns or close the borders. So let me just ask you a question. It's not a, it's not a trick question. If you wake up in the morning, you're in the food industry. Yeah. If you wake up in the morning, and you got a sore head. You got a sore. You got a headache. You got a sore throat. You're coughing. What do you do? Yeah, well, you, you don't go to work. Well, this, to be honest, you, in, in my industry, it was used to be pretty bad that way. People used to yeah. go to work anyway. Um, probably the probably the one main uh, good thing to come out of this is forcing people to stay at home in this in our industry. But you know, common sense would tell you. Just don't go to work. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting to. Well, actually, common sense would tell you um, that, you know, if you're feeling crap, stay at home. Hmm. Um, but common sense would also tell you in, in periods where there are higher um, uh, infection rates going on, to wash your hands regularly and, um, and, 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 and do all the normal things that you would do to protect yourself and others around you. Um, if you cough, cover your mouth, wash your hands. You know, that was all actually part of the original pandemic response um, principles that Australia and the states actually embraced right from the beginning. So we don't need some idiot in Queensland giving us a red light system to show us how powerful he or she is um, and to tell us that if we're not feeling good, stay home. Or what we need to do is wash our hands. We should be doing that anyway. Um, but we should be more diligent about these things at times of higher infection, which guess what? Uh, at different times of the year, we have levels of higher infection because of climates and all those sorts of things. So, um, you know, it's just another reason to control people. Um, and uh, Really, are we, you know, have we diminished our community to the point where they're children? Um, that, you know, if they're concerned that they're sick, go and have a test. Do we need to register it with the government? No, well, you know, I've, th there is not, not one ounce of logic that tells me why our government needs to know why we're not feeling well or if we're at home sick. Mm. Um, there's, um, or, or, or what they're doing with that data. You know, they're going to round you up. What are they going to do with that data? Um, and then you come to, you know, the, the cost to the people of, um, all, you know, all these promotions. You're better off educating people on how to stay disease-free. You're better off spending this money on public um, information and education programs to say, you know, if you're not feeling great, stay at home. Or if you've got these symptoms, maybe stay at home for a couple of days or, um, don't go to work or don't go to school, whatever it might be. That's what we used to do in the old days. If we weren't feeling well, um, we, we, we'd avoid infecting others. So I don't know why we suddenly need government interfering in our lives at this level. And as a person who thinks we should have smaller government, um, you know, I don't believe actually, you know, people talk about the number of 30,000 lives. Well, we're seeing a whole lot more lives affected now. But I don't believe for a second that any of the health officers, the chief health officers, 
um, have made have saved one life throughout this period. No, um, yeah, you know, I have. There's no there's no evidence of that. And Brett Sutton couldn't even say where they where in a court case recently could not even say um, where you know basically where they um, got their their information from that that justified their decision making on mandates and all those sorts of things in Victoria. Um, he he couldn't even explain um, where they isolated the virus because they didn't. They just they got it from scientific reports. So you know what? Be very wary of what your government systems tell you to do, and question. And if you don't like them, unite together and challenge them. Because why should we be spending money on this crap? If if you're sick. Stay in bed. Yeah, yeah. For for me, this just goes to show that the government's an arm of big business. You know, at the beginning of the the vaccination program, the Australian government bought nine doses of vaccine for every person in Australia. Mm. And I, for me, this is them marketing the vaccine, keeping yeah, everybody yeah. in fear, so everybody will get those sixth, seventh, and eighth boosters. Yeah, and uh, you know the. You know, God knows what we're injecting into people. And and really, at the end of the day, um, I think you're right. It's just the corporatization of government in this country. And um, and the big corporates, uh, you know, the big pharma just continue to get away with um, essentially treating every individual on this planet as a profit center. Yeah. Yeah. And this has been um, shown to be true again in the States. We had a story about this last week about the States um, okaying, well, recommending that the COVID vaccine, the unapproved COVID vaccine, should I mention there, has been recommended to go on the childhood schedule. This week, it's the CDC changing its guidance on opioids, giving doctors more leeway to treat pain. So this is after a record amount of overdoses in the last couple of years. I think last year alone, they had close to 100,000 overdoses on opiates alone, which is just astonishing. Um, this is, you know, people are using these in, in greater and greater um, volume because of because they're desperate. Like you were saying earlier, in the States, people are really desperate. So what they're doing now, rather than tightening the laws around it, they're loosening them. So they're saying to doctors now, that they should be prescribing more, essentially, because they've got a 100-page doc, doc, document here, and it's they need to. They're saying that you know it's a way of handling pain relief, uh, managing chronic pain um, conditions, and they're saying if they don't allow these drugs to be prescribed in greater volume, then people you know will commit suicide or they'll turn to heroin or or they will just have a really bad sort of um, quality of life. Yeah, well, you know, we teach addiction um, from a very early age. Um, there's a great book called Virus Mania um, uh, that you can get on Audible or some sort of um, 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 I've forgotten the various listening systems that you can get it on. I get it on Audible. Um, and virus mania, it's expensive to buy in, in, in the book form, but um, that book puts the proposition um, that and, and, and gives the evidence that essentially um, the, the biggest gateway drug in the world is um, processed sugar, um, where people become addicted to that at a very early age. Um, and essentially what we have is now um, opioids where there have been massive lawsuits um, and, and um, damages paid um, because of opioids, and we have a drug which is destroying families. Okay, Addiction is forever. That, that, that's what it is. Addiction is forever. So once people are addicted to opioids, they are addicted forever. 
And it's very, very difficult for them to break that habit. There are groups in America now and probably in Australia and other places that, um, that meet over addiction to opioids and to drugs like that. Um, so giving doctors more leeway to treat pain, um, I understand because a doctor should be free to medicate. But the Hippocratic Oath requires a doctor to look after the best interests of their patient. And the problem is a breaking of the system like this is essentially enabling people to go doctor shopping and there will be some unscrupulous operators that won't care about the individual that won't be following the Hippocratic Oath, which has been thrown out in most places anyway. Um, um, that leads to the destruction of lives, of families, children's lives, of communities, of all sorts of things that are going on here. So, you know, once again, it's the CDC making a decision and not thinking through the cause and effect. And the cause and effect is disastrous on the people. And why do, why do doctors need to have more leeway? Um, you know, something that is so addictive should be tightened up um, to, to the point where um, we really need to understand why people need these drugs um, to function. Um, I'm, you know, I've, I've had chronic pain at different times in my life, but I've never had opioids. And I'm not saying people aren't in pain. You've always got to look at that side of things. But what you've got to do is make sure that there, there are some um, strong controls around drugs that can be, um, um, you know, that, that people can become addicted to. So it's scary to me that they are loosening up the regulations around these drugs, principally for the benefit of the, the big farmers, um, you know, the big pharma groups that make massive profits from these drugs. Yeah, yeah. There's a great documentary I watched a couple of years ago called The Oxycontin Express. I'm not sure if you've seen that. No, I haven't. Uh, it just goes on about the, um, I forget what they call them, pill mills or um, where basically they're just these a doctor with a with a pharmacy attached to it and people line up outside the doctor says oh yeah you've got chronic pain here's a uh, here's a script mm. you can buy mm. it next door at our pharmacy so literally just drug dealers doing it yeah basically legally yeah. um you know and when you said about cause and effect before they know exactly what the cause and effect is going to be so the effect of passing passing this and making these recommendations, the effect is that they're going to get a cushy job when they leave the FDA or the CDC. Mm, that's right. And, and get a cushy job at these drug companies. It happens all the time. Revolving door. Yeah. And, uh, and, and once again, lives end up ruined. And see, this is just another values gap that you see evolve. And um, there's a, a guy called Ray Dalio who's got 18 measures on the collapse of um, regimes or economic cycles uh, for countries. Um, and he has six stages. And, you know, um, values gaps are one of them. This is a values gap. Um, this, this is, um, you know, the corporatization gap as well. And so... What happens is families get angrier and angrier about the ease of access. How, how's a family meant to deal with this problem? Because they're the ones that deal with the mood swings and the problems and, the, and, and you know, all the different things that, that manifest out of these drugs. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, let's have freedom with addictive opioids, um, but let's mandate experimental vaccines. Makes all the sense in the world, you know. Let's let's um, we can justify that um, because um, because we don't ask enough questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, look, I'm I'm not negative on the world. I'm not negative on the future of our, our, our globe as well. Um, uh, I I believe that um, there's a lot we can do to improve it, um, but if if you want to regulate and then you deregulate, there's, you've got to ask the question why, <laughs> you know, there's something, there's something odd going on. 
Yeah, I, I kind of feel like everybody's eyes are off are off this topic now. You know, it's yeah. they're on they're on other ones. They're on you know the midterm election. They're on inflation, um, war in Ukraine. So they can finally they've sort of gone. Well, you know, we've been tough on this for four years. Let's give them a break again and lift it. Nobody's watching, and to be honest, nobody nobody really is watching. I, d- I doubt that ninety five percent of the population would even know this is happening. Yeah, ex- exactly right. We, we 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 don't seem to be um, we don't seem to be aware or concerned. Um, so, you know, I think that um, I, I I certainly think that we are living through strange times, and that a lot of these things will will um, um, be questioned um, by the people as we move forward. Um, but individually. Um, they're not important, but ultimately, collectively, they'll become important when we see the collapse of, you know, institutions and systems that we used to trust. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, it's a uh, it's a, it's a difficult one to comment on um, in in the context of um, in the context of why does this make sense in its own isolated way well it doesn't um but you add all these things together what it shows is a society in decline yeah yeah and the reason why i added in this in this week is because um it, it just goes to show that you cannot have any faith in our medical not our medical system shouldn't say that because i think there's some some good people in the medical system but just the the governing bodies of the medical system you can't have any faith in them they're being completely corrupted and we can no longer trust them. Well, cer- certainly people, you know, non-professionals, when I say non-professionals, like um, a, lo- a lot of the politicians um, that make decisions that affect the professionals that have been to university and received their qualifications um, and have questioned a lot of things, um, they, you know, it, it just seems bizarre that we rely on these political decision makers um, listening to people that are just following the political operatives narratives, you know, um, it's scary, isn't it? When you put it in that context, it's, you know, traditionally we became used to independent politicians receiving independent advice, but the people they re- the, the, the public service rely on now are the people that give money to the political parties. And so we have this enclosed system, which is completely biased now and works against the people. And, you know, the people just haven't woken up to the extent that they need to wake up. They're waking, they're waking up in other countries because they're paying the price. And I tell you now, right now, we are paying the price. We are paying the very heavy price and the price is going to get worse. The cost of food, food security, oil, um, uh, interest rates, um, trying to hang on to a home, all those sort of things, um, being, being, uh, you know, being able to keep a job because we are required to do something we don't want to do. All these things are, are building up. It's building up tensions. It's building up anger. It's building up. And now we see our families divided and we're seeing family members sick and people dying because at the end of the day um what we've been told isn't the truth and hasn't been properly done so we've abandoned process with with the way that the system is broken down we've abandoned the independence of the processes that were set up at federation and once you abandon those processes really anything happens what well, has to get worse before it gets better so well yeah and i think i think look if we all look at it in that context we're starting as you know stand up community groups in 2023 if you look at it in the context that we as community people you know what we we want um um solution based communities so regardless of what decisions politicians at local state or federal make um regardless of what they do we want very, very strong groups in communities that are solution-orientated. 
you know, we don't need any more fear in our lives. Our lives have been um, uh, exhausted with fear from our own politicians, from um, doctors who make outrageous claims that aren't true, um, or, you know, uh, scientists that make outrageous claims that aren't true. And when, when it's exposed, who's held to account? Nobody. And, and yet we're looking at our loved ones in hospital dying of heart attacks. Yeah. So at the end, at the end of the day, um, you know, we need solution-based groups that can provide a lot of answers to a lot of problems. As this gets worse, we'll rise up strongly together. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, accountability, that word, there really needs to be accountability if our society is to succeed and move forward. Um, and I was just trying to have a look because um, we should be beginning to see some trends in the midterms beginning to come out, but I'm uh, not really picking up anything just at the moment. In the US? Uh, yeah. Are, are you seeing anything there? I mean, the trends I've seen so far is the voting machines not working and people, people being told they've already voted. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be a pretty pretty big trend over there. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, it looks like I, the Republicans are uh, taking um, taking the House, and it's tied in the Senate at the moment. So, yeah. Um, well, I think that was probably always going to happen, and um, uh, maybe uh, we'll see what happens in the Senate. But anyway, look, it's great talking to you, Mitch, and um, uh, we've covered a lot of ground, haven't we? But I think I think there's a common theme here. The system's broken. <laughs> yep, yep. And, yeah, and it's definitely. not serving the people. No, no. I mean, it was a, a quite a bit of a, a bit of a negative podcast, this one. But in the end, you know, we have to discuss these things uh, to make them better. And, you know, it's, it's all, it's just reality in the end, isn't it? This is where we're headed at the moment. And we need to be aware of where it's going so we can take action and, and make it and improve things. Yeah, I think. I think the power is in the hands of the people. Don't get me wrong. Um, but when you look at things in isolation and you look at the stupidity of some of the things that are happening, it does feel a bit negative, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it does. And, and what's negative is people not being able to afford their homes. What's negative is people not being able to buy nutrition, nutritious food, which is not full of poison like glyphosate. Um, uh, for their kids. Uh, what is sad is that we can't afford fuel for our cars or that we can't heat or, or cool our homes when we need to in extreme temperatures. Um, so we don't live in a perfect world, but as a community, as a grouping of people, we can work together to solve these problems. Um, you know, one of the things we'll be promoting in the stand-up groups next year is you don't have to have a big pot of dirt to grow food. We've got multiple households that can grow different types of food and we've got seed banks coming up through the system and all sorts of stuff happening where we can go back to growing vegetables in our gardens and swapping them with our neighbours, maybe like they used to in the 40s and the 50s, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And, and do the full circle if we can't trust the supply chain of food or if we can't afford it. So, so many good things are going to come out of this. Um, we'll rebuild our society. We'll evolve into a better um, society, I believe. And um, we, you know, it's going to hurt as, as the existing system crumbles because it is crumbling. Um, and, uh, we don't have people in Canberra that have got no right to occupy the, occupy the prime minister's office. Um, we don't want default governments. Yeah. No, we certainly don't. We certainly don't. I've got some um, ideas on what you were just talking about, which I'll discuss at a later point um, to do with, to do with sort of um, building a better system around gardening and, and trading with each other. Absolutely. Um, you know, as they say, as they say in the uh, the current world um, hegemony, build back better. We need to do that. Yeah, yeah, and that's what will happen naturally because we will. Um, we'll get rid of we'll get rid of uh, this corrupt system, and uh, and we'll return to the people, um, yeah. and we'll go through a growth cycle again. And guess what? 
it'll come to the end of another cycle at some point in the future and it'll have to rejig again. Um, that's what's happened throughout history. So this is not anything that's unusual. It's nothing we should be terrified of if we work together. Um, we should all be able to support one another. And um, I'm a great believer in that. I'm a great believer in us creating and being positive and finding solutions rather than filling our lives with fear every day. Um, there are some concerning trends. There are some problems. Um, but that is the end of the system as we know it. Um, and we need, to, we need to find a new pathway. And that's all that's going on here. Transition. You ask, you know, you ask a woman when she's giving birth um, to a baby. And, um, and the worst moment in that, in that birthing cycle is the transition where you, you shift from, um, uh, you shift into the pushing process of pushing the baby out. But um, they tell me, um, you know, they want to push. I want to, I want to push, I want to push, I want to push. <laughs> and they can't until the head's showing or they're dilated to a certain level. Otherwise, they'll do a lot of damage. And that's what we're going through in society. We're, we're actually rebirthing. We're coming into something new. Uh, it's just not quite the right moment to push, but it will be soon. Yeah, give birth to a better world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, you know, the world has continuously done it. I see no doubt that it will continue to happen, but there might be some pain in the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a nice way. That's a nice um, way to finish the podcast off, Peter. And thanks for that. Um, but yeah, thanks again for joining us tonight. Um, thanks, Mitch. It's always, it's always great always, to talk to you. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing to you. So but we will speak again um, yeah. in a few weeks' time. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. See you later. Bye.